It's over 9,000! Welcome, Super Elite Warriors, to Final Forum, a podcast for the discussion of all things Dragon Ball. I am your host, Jelly, an elite recruiting member of the Frieza Force on a mission to find the best warriors from across the galaxy to join the greatest army of all time. And I am joined, as always, by my new recruit co-host. This is Bikini. Hey, why do they call you Bikini? Why do they call you Jelly? Isn't that pretty obvious? I've got this gloopy gelatinous structure to me translucent purple skin extreme flexibility my people can even melt into amorphous puddles if put under enough duress really oh yeah i mean only a couple of us ever have been capable of reforming from said puddles in fact we basically consider that the last phase of our lives but uh hey how did we get on me here i asked why they call you bikini Right. Uh, I was just curious about your name as well. I'm from a more rigidly structured planet. Listen, if you don't want to answer, that's fine. But we're just out here drifting through space, and I figured... Well, see, on my planet, they call me Bikini because I am the... Oh, that's big... boring. I'm bored. You're, you're boring. You can't be serious. You didn't even let me finish the sentence. Yeah, and it bored me. Why do you think you have fewer lines in the script? Script? What are you talking about? Uh, anyway. Anyway, we're here in the Nova Sector, heading towards our first destination, a planet known as YZ SETI 3. Which the charts and naming conventions all suggest is an uninhabited wasteland, and we only had a blip for a moment on our scouters, so we're not likely to find anything there. But it's on our way to other locations that definitely had larger blips, so we'd be remiss if we didn't check it out. I guess that makes sense. Of course it does. I mean, I said it, and I get all the lines that make the most sense. Okay, see, this is there's this stuff about lines again. What are you talking about? Don't mind me. I, I'm just talking about this script of life. That's that's not a thing. Nobody says that. You don't know that. On my planet, it could be a very common saying, just like, it's over 9,000, or this isn't even my final form. So is it? My final form? No. This is not, in fact, my final form. We've talked about this already, remember? Gelatinous puddle? Keep up, recruit. No, I, I mean, is it a popular saying on your planet? Is what a popular saying on my planet? This is sounding like a poorly written comedy sketch. 
Now you're catching on, recruit. Somebody kill me. That could be arranged. Ask me again in a few weeks. Maybe I'll take you up on the offer. You can find out why they call me Bikini on my planet. Oh yeah? Why is that? You cannot possibly be serious. I'm not. Remember this is supposed to be a comedy of sorts? This is going to be a long... How long is this mission supposed to be anyways? I don't know. How long do you think you'll live? At this rate, much longer than I want to. Excellent. We'll make a true warrior out of you yet, recruit. Listen, do we have like a topic to discuss for this podcast thing we're doing? As a matter of fact, we do. We're going to take a look at a few more episodes and discuss a few characters as well. Uh, we're going to be talking today about episodes 6 and 7. I'm not sure, I can't quite remember if on our last episode I said we were going to listen to or be doing 6, 7, and 8, but uh, we were pulling an audible on that unless we said 6 and 7, in which case we're just sticking <laughs> with that. We're going to be talking about All episodes... according to the script. <laughs> We're going to be talking about episodes 6 and 7 today, um, and then we're going to be focusing in on one more very important character. Just to recap the episodes real briefly, episode 6 is basically filler. Yamcha tries to steal the Dragon Balls, while Goku, Bulma, and Oolong eat and sleep in this camper. Uh, he's constantly foiled by seeing Bulma's naked body, either while she's showering or sleeping. He tries to sneak in, and just she happens to be naked all the time. Mai and Shu try and fail to blow up the camper, and you get a bunch of comedic bits with them failing. A standout moment, though, is actually when when they talk about failing, and they're like, you know, Pilaf isn't just going to say, it's okay, I forgive you, there's bound to be failures in the spy business. And then later, he's like, it's okay, I forgive you, there's bound to be failures in the spy business. And then he like immediately starts torturing them. <laughs> um <laughs> It's 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 a it's a funny little comedic beat, um, and that's episode six. Then episode seven introduces us to Fire Mountain, Chi Chi, and the Ox King. It's also the first time to clue us into one of Goku's only weakness that he loses his strength when someone forcibly grabs his tail. So that's that's really all there is to it. Episode seven is just kind of an introduction to this mountain being on fire. They have to go up it to get. The Dragon Ball, the Dragon Ball is, is on top of the Fire Mountain, and the fire is too hot for any of them to get into, even Goku. So they have to figure out how to put out the fire, and that's Goku and Chi-Chi then leave to go get Master Roshi, because Master Roshi, they think, has something called the Bansho Fan, which can help them put the fire out. So, speaking of Fire Mountain, it's based on a, a, a flaming mountain that appears in Journey to the West, which is also, again, based on... A, a real mountain range called the Turpan Mountain Range. These mountains are made out of red sandstone, which kind of gives them their fiery color, thus leading to flaming mountains, through which uh, Xuanzang traveled on his pilgrimage. In the novel, the fire is from an ember out of the crucible in which the gods attempted to burn Sun Wukong. This is why the fire is hot enough to actually prevent him from just walking through which translates directly to Dragon Ball with the fire being so hot that Goku can't even really get close without hurting himself. Uh, in the American version, it's it's called a much more generic fire mountain, um, but in the Japanese, original Japanese, they call it Frypan Mountain, which kind of is a play on the, the Turpan Mountain range name in itself, which is, again, just kind of a continuation of the food-based puns that Toriyama uses consistently throughout 
this entire run yeah. of the show. He hears he hears the pan in Turpan and is like fire frying fry pan. Like that's basically he just it's just a pun. It's a decent one. Some of the best jokes are the simple ones, you know. Oh yeah, I, I it's it's a totally totally fine little pun. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, Fire Mountain is actually the home of the Ox King, and his Japanese name is more literally like Demon Ox King or something to that effect. And according to Oolong, uh, he's also known as the Emperor of Devils. There's never really any clarity given to whether these titles are his actual name or just titles. The point is that he's a known entity and he's feared as a warrior demon. The inspiration for the Ox King is from a bull spirit in the shape of a man who eats two of the companions of the team in the early goings of Journey to the West. So this ox hermit of the story is Sun Wukong's sworn brother uh, who causes some complications for them later on. When uh, Sun Wukong causes the ox hermit's son to be taken by a Buddha up to paradise – and he's not too happy because while his son is in paradise, he's also not living with him on Earth. So Toriyama plays into this by having the Ox King be a pupil of Master Roshi alongside Goku's grandpa Gohan and kind of sort of builds this quasi-familiar relationship between the two of them. Yeah, yeah, that's it's a it's a interesting little note, right, that, you know, Plus the the one the one really cool thing about it that that comes into play later is you know here this ox king is built up to be this giant uh, Goku can't even fight him in 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 this early goings right he's he's massively outpowers Goku but then when Roshi shows up and we find out that the ox king is a pupil of Roshi's he is like completely subservient to Roshi um, so you're kind of like oh if this guy's this strong how strong is this other guy so. Well, and then we find out. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's yeah, that's Fry Pan or Fire Mountain and the Ox King. But uh, today, I think we're going to take most of our time to talk about a character who is really only briefly introduced in this episode. I'll talk in a minute about how she's. I never thought too much of her as a character, really, but she's she's interesting and and potentially a little more complicated than she seems at first gla- glance, and that's Chi Chi. And Chi Chi is like I said, she's introduced in this, and she's just like this little girl, uh, somewhere around Goku's age. I've never been super clear on what that age is, and I think that's in part because. It has changed over the years. I think Goku was originally supposed to be 14, and then later they retconned that and said he was only actually 11. And when someone, and it's it's one of those things too. Then when someone was like, "Uh, you said he was 11 here, and he was 14," he said he was 14 there, and uh, Toriyama was just like, "Yeah, I don't, he he's bad at counting." Like, <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah so. Chi-Chi's just a young girl somewhere around Goku's age. She ends up being Goku's wife, ultimately. Like I said, I never gave her too much thought as a character. You know, as someone especially who came to this from Dragon Ball Z, she's Goku's wife, the mother of his children. She seems like she could kind of hold her own a little bit as a fighter. I mean, certainly more than... Uh, any of the other women really in Dragon Ball Z, especially, and especially for a human, she's a fairly devoted wife and a somewhat strict mother, but that was really all I ever thought 
about her. I don't know about you if you ever thought of her any anything really more than that. I I was the same as you. The first time I'd actually gotten like a proper introduction to the character was in Z. But then like going back and watching the original Dragon Ball and like learning about like her backstory and everything like that. Um, I I would tend to agree. There's there's probably a little bit more going on there than is implied if you if you just like start with Z and go from there. Right, and and especially you know like a lot of the characters in Z that that you think of as just these kind of weird background characters like the talking pig and the f- weird flying cat thing and uh, the other weird white cat <laughs> uh, that that being Master Corin. And some of these other characters that you just in Z they don't have a big role anymore, and and Chichi kind of kind of falls into that line too. You're like, who are these characters, and what are they doing other than really just kind of eating up some time? But it's a nice kind of callback because we do get to see them in Dragon Ball. They have roles, they do things. I mean, Chichi is established as a f- fairly strong fighter in her own right in Dragon Ball. And then that we see that carry through to Z actually where she's training Goten. So despite who she kind of becomes and she becomes this very devoted wife, this very devoted mother who wants her children to have it better than she does. I think she wants her she, and that's all parents for the most part are like that, right? Well, and I I think there's an interesting sort of difference between the two of them, especially as as uh parents between goku and chi chi oh yeah (laughs) where when and i'm not sure if we mentioned this yet but they in in dragon ball they're both young they're both considered like hicks from out in the middle of nowhere and you kind of learn that from i guess their dialects in japanese are very similar so they both kind of grew up with education not really being super important to both of them but to kind of to your point, she wants her children to do better. She very much focuses on education and studying and scholarly activities with uh, with Gohan at the beginning of uh, Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, so when you kind of take all of that into consideration, it becomes uh, when you get to see her in Z doing things, you're like, oh, okay, I, I get it. You know, it's just a nice little thematic continuation kind of. Um, and yeah, we talked about how they are like two peas in a pod with like, somewhat unrefined speech and grammar but you know i mentioned that she's a complicated character and her being complicated is in no small part thanks to this initial appearance and in this initial design <laughs> it, you know and it's it's before we get into the really the really complicated parts of it uh you know she's a she's a princess um she's the daughter of the ox king right and in Japanese and Chinese folklore, including Journey to the West, princesses would wear jeweled crowns, and Chi-Chi's helmet is a jeweled crown. But the crown part actually is modeled after Ultra 7. Uh, Ultra 7 is a character from A.G. Tsuburaya's long-running Ultraman series. It's been just recently in the United States getting released on Blu-ray. I own, I think I counted the other day, like 13 or 16 of these Blu-ray releases, and I don't even have half the show. Oh, wow. It's It's been running for a very long time. Um, and it's basically, when you talk about it, the Ultraman portions of these series, it it's always or usually about an alien that comes to earth the the ultraman alien while fighting other aliens or monsters or chasing them or something like that and at some point in his initial appearance on the planet a human either helps him out or helps out another person and 
sacrifices themselves. And after noticing the valor of this person, Ultraman decides that he can use his life force to save that person's life and join with them. And in the future, they can defend the planet from aliens or monsters. And from there, it's basically like a 30-minute Godzilla movie of the week type of show for in as a general rule of thumb of what Ultraman I, is. I could understand the appeal of something like that. Right. And yeah, it's like an alien or a monster shows up. They destroy some stuff. They try to take it down as a team, and then something happens, and he has to become Ultraman. He grows to the size of a building and starts fighting him. Ultra 7 is the second Ultraman series, and it's the third in the Ultra franchise. Uh, the initial show was called Ultra Q, and it does not feature an Ultraman at all. It's basically just like a Japanese Outer Limits or like Twilight Zone or X-Files. Uh, it's awesome. It does sound really awesome, actually. I might want to watch that. Neo Ultra Q is also awesome, and these Blu-rays are relatively cheap. Uh, I'm pretty sure that you can get Neo Ultra Q, um, which is it's from like the 2000s. It's like a revival of Ultra Q, very much so more in spirit than a remake. But you can get Neo Ultra Q on Amazon for nine dollars. Ooh, I would. It's like. That one is only like 15 or 16 episodes, and I would so wholeheartedly recommend that. And then if you like that, to go and get Ultra Q, which the Blu-ray for that is apparently only $11 on Amazon right now. So, But back to Ultra 7. Ultra 7 has this helmet, and it has a large blade on it, and it looks a lot like Chi-Chi's helmet. And he can rip the blade off and throw it at the kaiju giant monsters and it almost always cuts them to ribbons and causes blood to spew everywhere for kids uh <laughs> the 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 helmet also has a jewel right in the forehead area and that can fire out a ray in ultra seven it's known as the emirium beam it also almost invariably causes the aliens and kaiju that it hits to explode in dramatic fashion little for bits kids. of monsters go everywhere for kids um and that's uh, ultra 7 and ultra q uh, and ultraman it's if if you're into it and you think you might be i would give it give it a recommendation we'll post some pictures of ultra 7 on our social media and things so you could see the influence on chi chi's initial design this is just yet another example of how a tv show or a movie that toriyama watched as a kid and a really popular one by the way ultra 7 to this day remains the most popular i think of the ultra series in japan but this goes on to be incorporated into his series as an as an homage later on and the guy loves movies and tv and he even writes and works while watching shows and movies yeah and that was a lot of info but that's not really the complicated bit for chi chi i mean she's sort of an homage to ultra 7 which is a pretty popular show that's that's pretty easy to understand but what's more complicated is the rest of her design uh, for a young girl, she's very scantily clad, and her costume is more likely inspired by, like, Barbarella or uh, maybe, like, what the women wear in Flash Gordon. And it's not a super uncommon thing to see even in video games and movies today, like with bikini armor and stuff. Uh, but it's become a controversial point for a lot of games, movies, media in general, really. And what makes Chi-Chi even more complicated in this respect is that, like I said, she's very young. She's considered like a tween, I would I would say. So why is she dressed that way? 
basically it's because of something called Lolicon. And Lolicon is short for something known as the Lolita Complex, which is a term coined due to the popularity of the 1955 novel by Vladimir Nabokov called Lolita, wherein the main character becomes obsessed with and ultimately molests a 12-year-old girl. It's been adapted into multiple films, most notably in 1962 by Stanley Kubrick. Uh, it's uh, had stage shows. It's even had a Broadway musical. It's considered a very important book, probably one of the most important books of all time, uh, as it's told via an unreliable narrator. And so the possible interpretations and connotations for this are you know, they run the whole gambit from it being outright satire to being a bold examination of a person with mental health problems or even just being a lewd, distasteful, uh, you know, pulp novel uh, that highlights pedophilia. Nevertheless, however, uh, Lolicon, the idea of, of men being attracted to young women becomes popular in Japan in general, uh, especially in the around the 80s. And it's worms its way into Toriyama's work and, and not just Toriyama's work, but a lot of contemporary or uh, uh, Dragon Ball's contemporary uh, uh, animes and, 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 and manga and things like that. It was just something pervasive in the industry. Yeah. And it, I mean, we'll, we'll talk in a minute about how it kind of still is to some extent. Um, but yeah, you know, and then on top of that portion of it, Chi Chi's name itself is, even a little bit complex in a in a literal sense it's kind of like a bovine term which toriyama loves that stuff right he'll name yeah. he'll name a, a a character one thing and then every character that's very closely related to them will be some sort of play on whatever that is you know the saiyans uh, are vegeta is vegeta is their king and so then every saiyan has a name that's a vegetable Kakarot and Nappa and I think Bardock uh, is is like a, a broccoli uh, or a cabbage or something, right? Another like, another really good example is is Bulma actually. Uh, right. The way that the Japanese pronounce her name, it sounds like Bloomers, which is a girl's underwear. So then her father is named Doctor Briefs. Her son ends up being named Trunks. Like it's it's kind of just a whole. It's a thing that he does. It's he's pretty consistent with it. Her daughter is named Bra. Uh, That's right. Yes, <laughs> I forgot that one. So chichi is a is a bovine term in Japanese. It's a feminine term that means suckle, milk, or breast or nipples when dealing with cows. In in Japanese slang, though, chichi means boobs. So yeah, on top of that. <laughs> On top of that, in the episode, so like basically he's got this character walking around whose name is Boobies. Um, on top of that, in the episode, Goku does his little patented crotch check to make sure Chi-Chi is a girl. And she's at first like really embarrassed and angry, but in, in, the, in the manga at least, the act of touching her crotch alone causes her to feel so beholden to Goku that she considers them to be engaged. She's this uh, very Lolita-esque character. She's, um, I hate, I hate to use this word uh but she's she's sexy but she's also young and naive in the ways of the world so she just has no idea what she's what the way she looks and acts is even kind of doing to men a lot of times and that's a very lolita thing from from the novel um and we've talked a little bit about at least adjacently about how this arguably perverted i would 
not say it's arguable, but this this perverted sexuality applies to an extent to Bulma, but Bulma is of a slightly more appropriate age. You know, she's 16. She's she's coming into her womanhood. She is, you know, at that point where she's really, you know, you're hitting your stride with puberty and you want a boyfriend or a girlfriend and you want to explore your sexuality and things. But Chi Chi, as pointed out by Yamcha during our introduction to her, is very much not. Uh, he's Yamcha, who's scared around girls and and pretty ones, is when confronted about like you didn't seem scared around that girl he's like yeah because i'm not into young girls <laughs> yeah you know like we said we've never never fully clear on what her age specifically is but it's said to be the same as goku and she's at the oldest 14 that's that's as the oldest that chi chi is yeah that's oof i think this is a good time to have this conversation maybe i mean it's it's not the best time because at the end of the day we're two guys sitting around talking about this <laughs> maybe when we do a bulma episode a little bit later on and, and we want to get into some of that we'll revisit this and maybe we'll try and get a female voice for that and and get the female that, perspective a little bit that seems like that'd be a good plan but uh yeah, my, my take on all of this Lolita stuff and this sexualization of young girls is it's kind of like an unfortunate necessity. And I hate to use the word necessity, but it's it's definitely a sign in a, of its times and a product of a, almost definitely an entirely male-dominated production. I mean, Toriyama writes it. He's a man. His editor, Torishima, is a man. And I'm pretty damn sure that at least in the 80s every member of the team who might have any say into what goes into an issue of shonen jump is a man and so they think at worst this is probably just pandering to a perverted audience to get sales i'm sure there's at least one person on this team who who thinks that um but just treats it like this yeah if it gets us a few more sales who cares and in all likelihood, they consider it to just be this this funny sort of uh, subversion of things of, you know, ha ha ha, this, this little girl is dressed sexy. That doesn't make it right. <laughs> and uh, no. I think I would argue that if you watch the show as a whole and the manga in the, in the ensuing decades, it shows us that the creative team have ultimately come to this realization as well. You get to things like Fidel in, in Z, and then maybe especially when you start talking about the GT version of Goku's granddaughter, Pan, they're both Ooh. younger girls. Neither what is... version? I've never heard of this before. <laughs> uh they're both younger girls. Neither is hypersexualized. Both are strong characters who can hold their own in a fight. And Super also features like very little sexualization of female characters. It's certainly there to an extent, but it's almost always played in such a way, especially in the in Super, that it's it's like characters calling out when things get sexualized as being inappropriate, you know, like someone yeah. might catch a peek of Bulma in the shower or something. And she's like, how dare you? You know, um, it's, it's, I, I think it's, I think uh, there is like an element of the show sort of maturing alongside Goku in that, like in this instance, what happens with Chi Chi in my eyes is not overtly sexual. It's still inappropriate, but it's, a boy and a girl of similar age, the boy is like incredibly ignorant about 
any of this stuff having to do with women because like Bulma's the first woman he's ever met and he met her like a week before. And it's de- I think it's definitely played off as like a joke, a, a joke that w- is not necessarily funny, especially not in today's day and age. But I feel like it's it's not out of character for Goku to do things like that because he's so uneducated. And I feel like like you're saying how how this changes over the course of the show and especially in Super, how it's called out as being inappropriate kind of mirrors Goku's growth as a person as well in that like you know when he was a kid and he didn't know any better like he was slapping people in the crotch right Um, but now that he's adult and he he understands that these things are inappropriate now it's actually being called out as inappropriate right yeah I think that makes a good parallel for for uh not just for the character but for us us as as viewers too as consumers of media our perspective has changed since the 80s so it makes sense that the media that we consume also would. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, this is like we talked about, this is something that this is a topic of discussion in like, in every aspect of entertainment. Um, You talk about, you know, there's, there's still jokes and, and, and stuff and people calling out, pick your favorite MMORPG uh, and how all the women characters get bikini armor and yeah. the male characters get, you know, suits of armor things like characters getting getting armor that that like i'm trying to think of a good example but like you know the armor that's made with like boob holes in it not boob holes but um, (laughs) like a chest window which would completely defeat the purpose of wearing a set of armor no see that's one thing that is the, the 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 boob window is one thing i'm thinking of also even the ones that are like the armor itself is female shaped. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, where there's like booby holes for for the uh female variety. Yeah. Yeah. So it's still it's still a discussion that that, that is had outside of this, but yeah, it's it's definitely a pervasive thing in in manga in general. And you know, it's something that you kinda have to learn to uh, just kind of live with, whether you like it or not. And I on the not side, thankfully, I guess. But yeah, I'm not. I'm also not much for fan service. I don't. I feel like it doesn't really do much of anything for me. But you know, the the one thing too to remember again, right, right, wrong, or indifferent, and you know, we've we've been talking about that for a bit. Is that in general Japanese aesthetics regarding sexuality and gender and uh, and sex and you know age appropriateness is totally different from American mindsets. You know, America, at America at the end of the day, America, what's that? I'm, I'm from not America. Well, I, I'm a gelatinous right. alien. In um, the, in the Frieza <laughs> space federation. <laughs> but you know, it's a very, it's a very Puritan society, right? That's been, True. That, that was founded by Quakers and sex is considered a sin. It's a dirty secret. And it's also an obsession that influences how it's perceived by Western viewers. Always. They think that it's being thrown into this stuff because the author is perverted. And really it's just because it's more, it's more of a casual thing. The Japanese society doesn't wrap its identity around sex and sexuality the same way Western society does. Obviously there's, there's ways in which it's 
much there are there is manga out there that is much much worse <laughs> than this you know so if if, yeah. this, if if this is your if this is like your the limit of your tolerance i and cuz i don't i honestly i'm not sure that it's it's super super problematic in dragon ball i mean it it's definitely a problem to dress a 13 year old girl in a bikini to get right. men to read your your comic I don't necessarily think that's why Toriyama is doing it though. I think it's for him, especially it's more of a, seems just like more of a product of this is just kind of who I am. I'm like, I'm comfortable with sex and sexuality and I'm okay with drawing someone this way. Just, just to draw them that way. But uh, yeah, no, it's, it's a, there's definitely ones that are way worse than dragon ball. And there, and there still are today. And I think it's, it, it's a, good sign of Dragon Ball, at least, that it has come further and far away from it. There's a really infamous anime like that I, I can't... I It might be High School of the Dead. But there's a... The, what, are you thinking of the one with the sniper rifle scene? Where the, the bullet passes through the boobs as they yeah, flop up and down? Yeah, High School of the Dead. Yes, it is. <laughs> so, that's... You know, that's the kind of stuff that's... that. And High School of the Dead is from what, like two thousand? I can't remember off the top of my head, but I want to—I want to say early two thousands. Yeah, you wish it was from two thousand eleven. Oh God! <laughs> so yeah, so it's—it I would say it's definitely something that's still prevalent. I also think, however, that it's less less distributed across like a lot of anime, and it's become more of like a genre or niche thing now. I I would agree with that actually. Like you you kind of know these days which ones to avoid, and then whenever <laughs> and and also yeah. whenever people tell me of like one to watch, you know, um, just some examples for for you know, or just one example at least for for a. Dragon Ball fans like One Punch Man you know people were like oh watch One Punch Man and I watched it and I, I off the top of my head I don't recall anything super fan service-y about One Punch Man there's, yeah I can't, th I can't recall anything either I think there's a couple characters female characters who are dressed kind of like eh, in bikinis basically they're supposed to be superheroes so they're kind of supposed to be like marketing themselves that's part of what One Punch Man is kind of about um, is about yeah. becoming a popular superhero. So, you know, that kind of plays into it a little bit with that. And I would just say, like, whenever so my whole point with being with it was whenever someone says, hey, you should watch this one and it's a more recent one, I feel comfortable knowing that it's not going to be in there versus someone says, hey, you should watch this one and it's an older one. It's probably going to creep its way in. Um, yeah. A really good I, example for me was the very first time I watched Evangelion, which is considered like one of the most influential and popular anime ever. It uh, even appeared kind of in that Robin Williams movie, one hour photo. Yes, I remember. And I remember sitting down to watch that and being like, this, uh, these 12 year old girls are, are, are involved in a lot of sexual situations and I am not comfortable. <laughs> and that's okay i mean not that they're put but that you're uncomfortable with it that's okay right. when you find when you find media that you don't care for it's all right to just walk away from it 
Right. And so like like you said though, I think it's it's a it's becoming less prevalent, yes, less but I, but I do have a pretty decent example and this kind of ties into what we were talking about earlier uh with One Punch Man and and these women sort of objectifying themselves because that's part of the world building like they have to sell themselves market themselves um have you heard at all of my hero academia yes okay are you familiar with the the show at all no okay so essentially it's like one punch man but it's a bunch of high school kids and so you've still got that element of, well, they're trying to market themselves so the females dress sexy. But the problem here is that the females are 14 and 15 years old. While, yes, there's been a lot of progress made. And I'm not necessarily saying it's like a problem or it's like overt or over the top. It is still present, though. Um, while there has been progress made, there is still some work to be done. Right. Um, but overall... I think when you compare, especially from, from with Dragon Ball from the 1980s, and you bring it all the way up to today, there's been some significant progress made. Right, and I think, and I think, you know, using it, I, I don't know how my academia uses it. I think Dragon Ball these days tends to use it more as a commentary of like, we should stop doing this kind of, and and yeah, you're kind of having your cake and eating it too. Then you know, you're you're giving it to people and then kind of finger wagging and being like, Oh, but this was bad, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think, I think using it as a commentary and using it as satire is, is effective, especially, especially when it still is being done for, for real. <laughs> and, and like you were saying, it's, there's also this aspect to it of, you know, we have to put, we have to put out a product that sells. Right. And unfortunately, stuff like this does still sell especially so to this kind of... target audience of that's the just keep harping on it like dragon ball is intended for high school age boys yeah uh but i think it's it's um uh oh here's the thing that you wanted but finger wag i think is probably the best way to do it when you've got a, a studio that's saying no you, you kind of need to do these things Right, because it gets because then you're getting your 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 fan base to sort of question. Well, wait, why do we need these things? Do we really need these things? How can we try something without it? Yeah, and and I think introducing your your customers to that new idea, I think, is is pretty integral in moving away from those things. I agree. So that's that's Chichi, a uh, a character who seems a lot more, you know kind of superficial and unimportant on the surface and then you start scratching at that surface and you get to something kind of more interesting and complicated underneath uh, yeah it's I, I enjoy um, characters making me kind of take a moment to think about things yeah so this is the second time we've seen this Roshi guy are we ever going to talk about him more I don't know I mean, maybe if he has some sort of future impact on the show, like he winds up training Goku along with some bald kid before some major planet-wide martial arts tournament, and then also chooses to fight against Goku in secret in order to make sure Goku doesn't become complacent and keeps training hard and thinks there's more a goal to continuously chase after. That's oddly specific. I was just stringing words together. Speaking of strings, I think I see YZ SETI 3 on our display. What does that have to do with strings? Oh, absolutely nothing. I just wanted to stop this conversation. Well, 
On that note, we'll take our leave. Until next time, thank you for joining us. Will we find a warrior worthy of joining the Frieza Force on YZ SETI 3? Find out next time and help us achieve our final forum. Final Form is written and produced by Tom Gwelly. It is performed by Dan Kinney and Tom Gwelly. Our webmaster is Dan Kinney. Our theme music is provided by YouTube content creator GVG Kit. Want to learn more about the Dragon Ball universe, including concept art, behind-the-scenes interviews, and recommendations from Jelly and Bikini? Connect with us on social media. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Final Forum Pod. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you receive your podcasts. And of course, make sure to share with your friends and family and help us spread the word of the glory of Lord Frieza. The Frieza Force thanks you for your listenership.